Uh, normally when I do an intense message, I always give you guys a disclaimer, you know, there might be tripwires in this message, there might be some landmines that you are unexpecting, but there are occasionally times where I just go ahead and tell you I hope to challenge you all. And today is one of those days. So uh, if you, thank you Wally, I can always count on you. Um, and so here's the deal. In my home, we have these three couches in our living room and because uh, we've got a bunch of kids. And so uh, there are times when we, tell, we can tell Grant and I that the direction of our family is drifting a direction that we don't want to go, right? And so the Bible tells us without vision, people do what? People thrive? No, they perish. We need vision. We need direction. We need understanding. And so we like to do couch time in our home where we gather the kids and we let them know which direction we didn't want to be going and we put them back on the right direction. And they love that so much. And so I just wanted to extend an opportunity to you guys to experience some couch time, Wartman family style. And that's what we're going to do today. So again, I intend to challenge every single one of you at some point in this message. So that way you can all give yourselves a group hug on the back end and it's going to be great. We're going to make it through this. Um, we're going to be talking today about why it's important to come to church on a Sunday morning. So just take a deep breath. You know, for some of you guys, you're like, uh, I grew up in church. I never miss a Sunday. I hope to challenge you anyway, okay? Um, but I don't know if you're aware, in today's day and age, in America in particular, church attendance is on the rapid decline. This is not really true worldwide. In fact, there's a really amazing documentary that came out recently about the church in Iran, and it's called Sheep Among Wolves. And uh, oh my gosh, it's incredible about what God is doing in the Iranian people, raising up this revival. We had the privilege to be in the Middle East right before the Arab Spring, uh, and we got to see the first salvation. It wasn't us, it was a friend of ours that were missionaries there for a long time. The first salvation after giving their lives to the Middle East for a decade. We got to be there when this person got saved, and since then, I think there's something like hundreds of thousands, and I'm not exaggerating, of Middle Eastern Muslim people who've come to the Lord, and they cannot wait to gather together. They hunger and thirst to gather together because the fellowship they get, the teaching they get, it just revolutionizes their life. It's happening in Asia. It's happening in the Middle East. It's happening in Africa. There's a church, uh, what's it called? The biggest church. They just built a building that can uh, seat a million people. Am I correct in saying this? It's something like that. It, to get through the whole building, it's like a warehouse style. They have to drive a car. It's something like the size of Tinker. It's a church building where a million people come and gather. So I would say the church is alive and well worldwide. And yet in America, where we have the greatest amount of religious freedom, we have the least amount of church attendance. It's interesting, right? I want to um, give you guys some statistics. I love statistics. I love seeing this. Some of these come from Gallup, which is a national survey um, company, and some of these are other surveys. But the first one is this. In the last 20 years, okay, and that's in the last 20 years, from 20 years ago until now, these are all current statistics, there has been a 69% drop in regular church attendance in America. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, let's see. Okay, so the average uh, person uh, that goes to church, that says I'm a believer, that goes to church, makes it to church about three out of every eight Sundays. That's 25% of people. There's another statistic that's interesting. It says two in every 10 millennials. Now, let me tell you what a millennial is, okay? If you were born from about 1980 until if you're about 25 years old, I don't do math, so some of you guys that are good at that can tell me what year you were born if it's 25 years ago. My dad, my parents are here. My dad's looking at me like, come on, girl, you can do better than this. Um, I'm so glad they're here today. Okay, so back on track. Uh, so two out of 10 millennials, all right? So millennials are people who are young adults today. 
They were born in about 1980 all the way till about 25-year-olds, okay? Out of this group of people, two in 10 actually believe church is worthwhile going to. That means eight out of every 10 millennials don't find much value in going to church. Now, don't be like those people who are like, ah, millennials, right? Uh, Because I love that when people say that, typically they are a millennial, they just didn't realize they're actually still (laughs) in the millennial category. I have a bunch of friends who are like, oh, those millennials. I'm like, you realize that's you too, right? But anyway, so uh, our young adults don't find much value in going to church. It's interesting when we look at some of these statistics because there's a lot of reasons why people don't make it. A lot of reasons why people don't come on a regular basis. So I want to look at about, I don't know, seven different factors of why people don't come to church consistently, okay? One of them is this. We have very kid-centric lives now. We have very kid-centric lives. What does that mean? That means your kid runs your world. Now, I know about, I would say that in my life, in a lot of ways, my kids very much run my world, whether I want them to or not, right? That is part of parenting. But our kids run our world. What does this mean? This means that when we put our kids in sports, if they want to play football, for example, and the team is going to play on Sunday mornings, well, that's just how it is, and we're just not going to go to church for two months every fall, and it's just how it is. Because that's a kid-centric view. We were youth pastors for a little over a decade, and we did lots of research on this particular statistic. It's very true. Kids who don't go to church don't grow up to be adults who go to church. It should be logical, but somehow when we're believers, we think that won't be our kid. That won't be my Johnny. But it is. Time and time again, when we value things outside of the community of God, that's what we teach our kids what to value, right? So one of the reasons people don't come, kid-centric worlds. The second one is this. There's too many options. Hello, Oklahoma. Too many options. I love when we have people come in from out of town and we're driving them around and the ones from the West Coast will always say, uh, there's a lot of churches here. And we're like, yeah, we forget, right? I was doing a Google search trying to find out how many registered churches are in our area and what it popped up on Google Maps, which was not what I was looking for, was 24 million hits. And I was like, that can't be right, but it does feel like that, right? It feels like Grant, Grant did the math for me, that it's one, uh, two and a half churches for every one person in the metro. So we know that's not true, but that's how it feels. There are so many options. How do we know who to pick? I can't possibly in my lifetime make it to every single Sunday and try out who they are. So there's too many options. Another one, this one is, uh, these two kind of go together. It's distrust, a general distrust of church leaders. That's a thing. We gotta embrace that, right? There's been a lot of church leaders, especially in our area, who've not done some great stuff, who've not handled their people correctly. So there's distrust. It, coupled with that goes when we have wounding, right? We have wounding in our soul. Um, we just finished our equipping class on the gift of healing. So there's three uh, recordings from that three-week class on our podcast if you wanna catch up on that. And the final one we did was about how to heal our wounding. So if you're hearing that and you're like, that's me, listen to it and then be healed and then move on. Uh, <laughs> The next one is this one. I find this one to be very, very true. It's that we live in an era of self-directed spirituality. So this is the best time to be alive, in my personal opinion. Man, we have so fewer diseases today than we did 100 years ago, right? There's so much blessing of being alive on the earth today for so many reasons. But one of them is the internet. And so we get to be gleaning from globally known pastors who are one in a million gifted and talented, and it's amazing. And so we direct our own spirituality by picking and choosing our worship set based on what's fresh at Elevation versus Hillsong and Bethel Music and all that kind of stuff. We pick and choose which preacher has the word that feels like it hits 
us, and then we just kind of live in this self-directed world. It's not a bad thing to have these resources coming in. It just might not be the fullness of what God is going for. Another one is, uh, which we said this in the statistic, a failure to see a direct benefit. A lot of people genuinely feel like, I don't see much difference when I go to church or when I don't go to church. And the last one, this one I think is probably at the top of the list, is the disappearance of guilt in our society. The disappearance of guilt. I didn't come up with this. I wish I did. It was so poetic, but um, I didn't come up with it. But the disappearance of guilt. So, you know, forever, most of the world has operated on a shame culture. Think Aladdin. He stole a loaf of bread. The poor guy, he was hungry, and they want to cut off his hand, right? Anybody else Disney fans? No? Okay. Um, Thank you. Uh, But, you know, this is very much in, in certain cultures in the world. You do one thing wrong, and you are physically maimed because of it so that everybody will know you were a thief at one point in time in your life. We, live, we have had so much shame. If you go back into American history and you look at the, the tar and feathering, you do one thing wrong, they're going to tar and feather you. It's like because they want everybody to know about your mistake. That's what shame is. Some people would say, we don't live in a shame culture anymore. And I would say, do you watch the news? Because <laughs> we are, or the comments, thank you, the comments on Facebook, right? We are still in a shame culture. We've just decided to hide who we shame behind our handles, right, our user handles. But a shame culture is something that says collectively we're gonna decide what's right and wrong, and if you step outside of the bounds of that, then you become our target of all of our intensity of our words. That's essentially what a shame culture is. There's a lot of good things coming into our world because of the disappearance of guilt. There's a lot of good things in our perception of who God is. Like a lot of us grew up in churches where we went Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night, and the occasional Tuesday, and then the men's breakfast in the morning, and you know, all this stuff. And then we thought if we missed it, we would be zapped by lightning and smited by God. There's a lot of people, especially in this area, area, that that's how they grew up, right? And so the disappearance of guilt has a good thing to it because now we understand God is not holding lightning bolts waiting for you to miss a Sunday, right? You need to sleep in because you stayed up too late Saturday night and the Lord's like, where'd you go? Can't find you in those covers. Just peek out. I'm ready. It doesn't work like that. So the disappearance of guilt is good for us, but it also is not good for us. All right. I want to look at some scriptures um, related to why we go to church on Sunday morning because I don't know if you're like me, but I want the Bible to tell me how to live my life. I don't want to just blindly accept what a pastor says, and I will never ask you to do that with me either, or Grant or whoever is preaching here. I will always ask you, search the word. And so there's a question that's going in our society right now, and churches as a whole. In fact, I'm a part of a Facebook community group which has um, all these creative pastors from churches. I think there's something like 25,000 people in this group. So it's all over the nation, people who are creatives, they're doing their media, all that kind of stuff with their churches. And there's common conversations about people not coming on Sunday mornings and how are we going to capture their attention and the birth of online church and all this kind of stuff. And I'm a part of these conversations and I leave with this sadness in my heart because I think we're missing something just a little bit. See, the church is not designed to just go with the direction of where the culture wants to go. The church is the North Star. Because we are led by Jesus, and so we are the direction everybody is supposed to be going. Amen? But that's not what we're seeing in America right now. That's why I want to preach this message, because I just want to be really clear about it, if that's okay with you. So when we're searching the scriptures, we're looking, God, are you okay if I don't come to church? Like, are you going to be mad at me? Are your lightning bolts loaded, you know, and your magazine of smiting, whatever you want to call it? And we wonder that, and we search the scriptures, and we don't find a black and white answer, and here's why. 
The entire New Testament was written to the church. So you will not find a scripture that validates being apart from the body because the entire book was written to the body. So if we're asking the question, how do you feel about me coming or not coming regularly, Lord, we're actually asking the wrong question. The question we should be asking is, why did you pick the church? Why did you put all your eggs in the local church basket, Lord? Why didn't you invent the internet you know, in the year 2 AD and save us all and we can just be online all the time and not have to deal with people? Maybe you'll figure out where I'm going. He doesn't do that. We're not gonna find a scripture that very clearly empowers us to not come to church. Here's why. The grace of God. A lot of times when we, when we struggle coming regularly, we use this argument to make ourselves feel better. The grace of God is, you know, God, there's grace, right? There's grace for it. God's not mad at me, so it's all fine, right? I just wanna clear up the air here. The grace of God only points one direction, which is to the throne of God and his kingdom. The grace of God does not point you to your own self-empowerment to do what you wanna do with your life. How, how do I know this? Well, because Romans tells us, does the grace of God abound so sin can abound? No. no. In fact, other translations say, absolutely not. It's an outrageous response to that thought. The grace of God exists for when we don't want to do the thing we're supposed to do. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with Galatians 5, right? When our flesh is at war with our spirit, our flesh needs a break, our flesh needs brunch, our flesh needs those, you know, French toast with the creme fraiche and the little berries, and I don't know how to make berries at my house, and so I have to go there to get it, you know, and I want to beat the lunch rush, so I got to, the lunch rush, so I got to get there at 10 a.m., like, that's what our flesh wants. But the grace of God will never empower your flesh. Why? Because from God's perspective, your flesh is dead. He ain't wasting no time talking to what's dead. The grace of God only goes one direction. It's only there to empower us for when we find it difficult to do the thing God is asking us to do. And the grace of God drives us closer to him. Amen? All right. So I told you guys I was going to challenge you. Okay? Some of y'all are like, oh, my Lord. Well, if I didn't do my job, you can tell me afterwards, and I'll try to up the ante for next time. Uh, just kidding. All right, so I want to look at a couple of scriptures. Let's look at the first one, um, which is, uh, let's do Hebrews chapter 10. All right, we're going to throw this up on the screen for you in the Passion Translation. I'm going to read to you guys verse 25 and a couple other translations, but here, here it is. The beginning of chapter 10 is this. It is um, the writer of Hebrews inspired by God. Remember, we talked about this. The New Testament was written by God just through the hands of someone. I think sometimes when we say, oh, Paul wrote this or whatever, we can kind of forget that it was actually God saying these things. So remember, this is God saying this to you. The beginning of this chapter is all about the sacrifice of Jesus and how filling that was, how final that was, how, how full that was, all right? And then we pick it up in this. And now we have, and now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm. Thank you, Lord. Boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. This is all good, right? This has nothing to do with church. What are you talking about, Rachel? We'll keep going. Verse 21. And since we now have such a magnificent king priest to welcome us into God's house... We come closer to God and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, and we have been freed from an accusing conscience, and now we are clean. 
unstained and presentable to God inside and out. So now, okay, so we have all this good stuff going on in our life. So now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. Now, zero in on this one. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, because we need each other. Is that how you read that scripture? That's how I read it. This is not the time to stop meeting together, people. This is the time to come closer together, to back up a verse, and to start coming up with creative ways to speak the gospel into this present age. The Amplified puts it like this, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction. Sounds like church, right? We're not supposed to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Why is Paul saying this? Because I think he's pointing, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews, I think they're pointing to our culture right now too. Some have had this idea that I don't need church because I've got all this access to teaching and worship and I have these amazing encounters with myself, with God. I don't need that. And what the Bible is telling us is if that's your thought, you're actually wrong. Ooh. Should have brought some fans today. We don't want to hear this. And I'm just going to be honest. I I get it. We don't want to hear this, right? We don't want to be told that we're supposed to be here. And there's a fine line in this because if you feel coerced to do anything in the kingdom of God, you're also wrong. There's a real balance in here. So I think what we need to do is we need to understand why we gather, why God created the church, what's happening when we're here in this room that we can't get when we're not in this room. And if we can understand that, then we can have an educated decision about what we do on Sunday mornings, right? That's my goal for you. My goal is not to say, if you're not here, man, you're wrong. That's not the goal. My goal for this message is not so that you guys just come more and we have more more people in the seat so our Facebook Live looks a little bit more full. That's not the goal, okay? Let's just be total honest here. My goal is for you to have a healthy life. I heard a pastor, Grant and I are doing a study on finances by this pastor in Ohio that we are really enjoying And he was talking about how if you had a church that had all your needs met financially, you had so much money that you didn't need to receive an offering, the pastor would still receive an offering. Why? Because it's for your health to give, right? And it's like that when we talk about church. I'm not asking you to come so that you can do something, you know, you can do something we want to do. I'm asking you to come so that what God wants to do in you can happen, so you can be healthy, okay? So let's just... Lay that out there. Let's dive into several more scriptures that talk about church. Matthew 18, 20, you guys are really familiar with this. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered. How many of you spent time with the Lord with someone else this week? Oh, fantastic. Wow, surprising. I didn't. <laughs> so I was not living Matthew 18, 20. I spent time with myself. Well, I guess you could count the Holy Spirit as a person, but you know what I mean. It's when two or more are gathered that the presence of God comes. What does this mean? Do we neglect our time with the Lord? Obviously not. But we recognize something different of God shows up when there's at least one other person in the room. James chapter 2, verse 2, we're only going to take a snippet of this, but it says this. If a man comes into your assembly. Okay, so these next scriptures are all going to be about what happens when you gather. If it wasn't important to the Lord that we gather, then these scriptures would not be in there, right? Right? Again, the entire New Testament was written to the church. 
If a man comes into your assembly, this one, Acts 14, 27, and when they arrived, they gathered the church together. Acts 2, 42 through 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They actually met every single day. Sometimes I hear people talk to me and they're like, well, I don't feel like I need to go to church every week. And I'm thinking, the only biblical answer to not going to church every week is if you were doing like the Acts 2.42 type thing where you're gathering every day. So are we doing that? Okay. We're good. We're good, guys. 1 Corinthians 14, the entire chapter is dedicated to instructing the church when they gather and the Holy Spirit shows up. This one, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, I don't have it printed out, so I'm going to read it off of mine. It'll be on the screen. This one is a really hard verse, okay? So if you have not felt challenged yet, whoo, seatbelts on. Captain has turned on the fasten your seatbelt sign. Here we go. Uh, this is a really interesting rebuke, okay? He says, now on this, I'm going to read it to you in the way I hear it, okay? So I'm going to put some inflection in this. Now on this next matter, I wish I could commend you, but I cannot, because when you meet together as a church family, it is doing more harm than good. What? I've been told many times that when you meet as a congregation, divisions and cliques emerge. And to some extent, this don't surprise me. This is how I hear Paul saying it anyway. Uh, differences of opinion are unavoidable. Everybody say unavoidable. unavoidable. All right. Yet they will reveal which ones among you truly have God's approval. What? This is the weirdest verse. Let's dive into it. The next verse in chapter, uh, verse 20 says this, and when all your house churches gather as one church family, we're gonna stop reading it there, but here's the deal. Again, we have this implication. We are sort of obligated to gather as a church family, right? All right, so let's back up to verse 19. Differences of opinion are unavoidable, yet they will reveal which ones among you truly have God's approval. Okay, this is a tough verse, all right? Let's dive into it. This word approval, if you look at all the translations, if you do the studies and you put the whole picture together, this is what it's saying. Those who are mature, okay? It's not that the immature ones don't have God's approval. It's just the way that they're saying to say um, what he's approving of their actions. Does that make sense? You are mature. Why? Because immature people, when they feel like they have a disagreement with someone, they turn it into division, Mature people can agree to disagree. Mature people can come in and say, well, I don't think I believe that, but hey, I'm gonna choose unity over our disagreement. I'm gonna choose love over our disagreement. I'm gonna preserve our relationship despite our differences. Immature people, they don't do that. And so what this is saying is differences of opinion are unavoidable, yet they reveal which ones truly have God's approval. What does this mean? When we come together and we disagree, which is inevitable, we're gonna see who has more room to grow. Because we're gonna be able to tell what does somebody do with it. Um, in, in like leadership stuff, in, in like church leadership stuff, they'll always say, you know, you can't tell if someone is really submitted to the vision of the house until you disagree. Because submission is not the same, let's put it in the marriage context, okay, this makes so much more sense. All right, uh, when you're all in the same boat, Man, you can feel like you're submitted, right? I'm with you, babe. We're on the same page until he says or she says the other thing that you're not on the same page with. And now all of a sudden you're like, uh, the Bible tells us we should be mutually submitted and I don't want to agree with you on this, right? I don't want to submit to you on this. You guys tracking with me? That's when we test if we're actually submitted. It's in our disagreements. In a church context, it's in the disagreements that we test how we're doing with the Lord. Why am I bringing this up? Introverts, raise your hands. Just kidding. You're so panicked because I said that to you. <laughs> All 
right. So those of you, because you all know I'm not, I know, right? Everybody's like, she's that introvert. I'm out of here. Whew. Those of you who are introverted, you guys know I'm not. So this is, I'm going to try to say this with as much grace in my heart as I can. Um, those of you who are introverted, you need to be in the room with other people because that's how you learn where you need to grow. Us extroverts, we can't not be in the room, right? We have to. We, like, we're, we die. Like, uh, you know, it's like when I'm alone by myself too much, the world gets a very dark place. I'm like looking at end time scriptures and I'm like, are you coming back, Lord? I've been alone for 20 minutes. Some of you extroverts are like, I feel so known. Um, but here's the deal. I think one of the reasons why we don't come to church regularly is because we're just annoyed at that person. It's probably a different that person for all of you. I remember a couple weeks ago when I preached about uh, the Holy Spirit and I made a comment about the weirdos and like five of you came up to me later and were like, am I a weirdo in your eyes? I'm so sorry. I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have said that if I thought it was you guys, okay? Uh, I was not speaking to the room and I'm not doing that right now either. And so it's that person, right? That person that you avoid, that when you see them walk in, all of a sudden it's bathroom break time, uh, when you, you want to make sure they sit down first so you can be on the other side, right? People do this kind of stuff, and I think this is one of the reasons why we, make it, we don't make it to church regularly, because we don't want to deal with that person that rubs us the wrong way. But I just have to tell you, because I love you and I want you to be healthy, that person is in your life to help you know where you're supposed to mature. And if you don't get them rubbing up against you here you will get them in some other place. Because the Lord is committed to making you a mature son or daughter of God. Right? My old pastor, he used to say, get the lesson from the first one that comes. Because <laughs> it'll keep coming to you in other expressions and other faces because God is adamant that you need to learn that, right? It's, it's, it's true. I don't want to hear this any more than you do. I'm just saying we have to catch ourselves. If we are withdrawing from the body because the body annoys us, then that's an indicator that we have room to grow. And that's where you use the grace of God to become your jetpack to fuel you towards his kingdom and his righteousness. What is his righteousness? It is his right way of doing things. This is God's world, remember? We don't get to define what works. All right, a couple more scriptures on this. Romans chapter 12. The beginning of chapter 12 is all about renewing your mind, which is a great setup for the next part, which is in, um, I don't think we have this one on the screen, on verse uh, four and five. Let's start in five. No, let's start in four. It says, in the human body, there are many parts and organs, each one with a unique function. And so it is with the body of Christ. For though we are many, we've been uh, mingled into one body in Christ. This is what I was just talking about, right? We're not blessed to be an island. <laughs> Let me just say this too. For those of us that want to be blessed to go be with people who are just like us and no one can disagree, that's what a cult is, right? So the body of Christ was never supposed to be a place where people just always agree on everything. The body of Christ is supposed to be the place where we disagree and then we figure out where we need to grow so we can be God's approved, right? All right, air quotes on that one. Um, okay, so let's pick it up in verse five. Uh, For though we are many, we've been mingled into one body in Christ. This means that we are vitally joined to one another with each contributing to others. The body of Christ is not just for you to consume. I think one of the reasons why we don't make it to church very often is because we've bought into the idea that what happens here is all about me. Like this is some sort of a movie. Like when I go to the movie, I get my certain snack. Oh, can we just vent for a second about 
what happened to the Warren Theater. <laughs> Took my daughter and my nieces to a movie this weekend and um, went to get the nachos because they have some of the best they had, some of the best queso in the area. And I opened the box up and my heart just died a little bit and I was like, oh Lord, help me. Because some things are not what they used to be. Okay, total tangent, back on track. Um, <laughs> We've been mingled together as the body, right? We need to come. We need to allow ourselves to be uh, grown. We need to allow ourselves to be changed, to be moved into a greater version of maturity, okay? All right, um, let's see. Here's another one. No, okay, I want to move on to why we should come to church. All right. I'm going to give you guys four reasons of why we come to church, okay? Um, the reason why I was saying the movie thing is because it's not, this isn't a movie time. This isn't we come, we get our favorite snacks, we do everything we want to do. That's only one part, okay? So who knows how to make a hundred out of four quarters? Oh, I just told you. Dang it. <laughs> Surprise! Thank you. Four quarters, yes. We get to a hundred by having four quarters, right? So I'm going to tell you four things you need to understand about coming to church. Each one of them is worth 25, okay? And that's important for us to understand because some of us want to make one of them worth 75 and the next the smaller versions that make up 100, okay? So here's the deal. The first reason why you come to church on every Sunday, if you can make it every Sunday, it's this, because you get to connect with God. Everybody say amen, right? That's probably why you're here today. But what you maybe haven't thought of is that that's only one quarter of the whole picture. That's not the be-all, end-all reason why we come, Okay? It's important, but it's only one of four equal parts. The next one is this. The second part is this, to connect with other people, to have fellowship. We've, our leadership team has been making great strides to try to start at 1030. So if you came after 1030 and you're like, what just happened? They were started already? That's why. We're trying very hard, uh, aren't we, Grant, to start at 1030. Uh, we're trying really hard for that. But we were having this conversation, and this is what Grant was saying. I think this is so true. This is our heart as pastors. He said, you know, when people show up, I want them to get to mingle together. I want them to have time where they get to connect with each other, right? There's something powerful about when we show up and we get to connect and you see someone's face, not just their profile picture online. When I see your face, if I know you, I can tell, how are you doing, right? Now, I've been on the other side of that when you don't want people to tell how you're doing, you know, and you're like, hey, this is not a day to ask me deep questions. You just kind of leave it at that and we all respect each other. But when we get to know, <laughs> when we get to know each other, that's what community is, right? That's how we learn to be in each other's lives. So you come because you connect with God and you come because you connect with other people. Both of those are only one quarter of the picture. The third one is this. You come so that you can practice your gifts of the Spirit. That's really hard in churches that you don't interact with each other and there's no ministry time opportunity and it's kind of like, well, I thought I had gifts but I don't get to use them, right? That's why we make time in our service to do that because it's for your benefit. Let me put it like this. If out there is the jungle, then this is the zoo. This is the safe place when out there is not the safe place, right? So I just shared with you guys earlier, right after worship, I shared with you how I went to Montana and I felt so safe there because I had failed so many times in the presence of you guys, I felt more confident. Can I just be honest? Because we're growing too, right? We're in a process of learning how to hone our giftings and how to tap into what God is doing too. Nobody has arrived. And so it's important that we come with one quarter of the reasons because we have something to offer. Let me just be, can I just be really blunt? Like, tripwire coming, okay? 
Grenades are loaded. All right, so uh, there have been times, more than two, where I have not wanted to come to church, okay? It's a challenge when you're the pastor. It's not a good look. Um, but there's been a few times, especially when we have like a nighttime thing or we've got a guest coming in and I'm tired. I've got kids. I have a life. You know, I'm tired, right? I'm like, I feel like you guys do sometimes. Not th- whatever. I said that backwards. So um, those times that I choose to come anyway, my, some of my most amazing testimonies of God using me in someone's life came from those times. I just wonder if in our weariness, we let the enemy talk us out of contributing and we actually miss out on the blessing. Now again, I'm not telling you you are obligated to be here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if a fourth of why we come to church is so that we can be used by God. I told you they were loaded. Let's look at it this way. Proverbs 11, verse 25. I'm going to read this to you in the Passion Translation. In the NIV, I don't know if you're like me, I memorized most of my scripture in the NIV, which got really confusing when I would try to look it up, and I'm like, it doesn't say that same thing. In the NIV, in Proverbs 11:25, it says, he who refreshes others is himself refreshed, right? In the Passion Translation, it takes it from here to here, and here's what we're going to look at. Those who live to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them. Hello. And the one who pours out his life to pour out blessings will be saturated with favor. I want that. And I want that for you. But we don't get that by sitting on the couch and binge watching Netflix because we're doing self-care. Has anybody not been challenged? Do I need to keep raising the bar? (laughs) But listen, listen, here's the reality, right? Self-care is true. We need to like value ourselves. You're only gonna love your neighbor to the degree you love yourself. So you need to be okay with you. But we are mistaken if we believe that indulging in our own desire is what leads to true fulfillment. The Bible here and many other scriptures is so clear. He who gives his life will find it. He who blesses others will be the one who is blessed. If we want to be saturated with favor, that only comes It's a connected verse that only comes for the one who pours out his life. Their whole life is about pouring out onto others. So here's my challenge to you people who are on our road to becoming really healthy spiritual people. If you want more of God, you have to give something. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a word of encouragement. I'm talking about a hug, a high five, an elbow if you're a germaphobe. Because here's the reality. We don't get the saturation of favor unless we are willing to let God use us. We cannot believe that church is only for us to be consumed, to be, you know, that we consume what we get. We cannot allow ourselves to believe that we are, um, that the grace of God empowers us to indulge in all of our favorite things. Like, okay, real talk moment here. Let me just bring you into the Wartman household, okay? About seven o'clock, mom is done. I'm trying to make it eight o'clock. That's my goal, it's eight o'clock. But there's a couple of days where it's really hard to be a parent of a two-year-old, especially one that's potty training and has had like sores in her mouth and isn't sleeping. It's not a pleasant uh, experience. And so I'll be like, what do I need? Here's what I need. I need a new blanket. I need my favorite little Debbie. I need my favorite show. And I need to lock that door so that dad gets all the questions and not me, right? And although we might truly need that from time to time, usually what I really need is to give out to somebody else and remind myself why I exist. 
This is what I've learned in my life, that when I am not doing well, it's because I've shut myself off from giving to other people. Why? Because out of our belly flows rivers of living water. It actually flows out, it doesn't stay. And if it stays, it gets gross and things are bad. You guys tracking with me? All right, one other verse in relation to this, Matthew 6, 33. We're gonna put it in the Amplified, jumping translations today. It says this, but first, this is Jesus talking, okay? But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. How do we get a life we want to live? By giving out to other people. So one quarter of why you come to church is what God wants to do through your life. It may not be a word of knowledge type gifting. It may not be prophetic. It may not be anything that feels like faith. It may be standing at the door and greeting somebody. It may be being the person who puts the donuts in the cups. We're not talking about rocket science here. We're talking about what's intuitive to you of who God has made you. People need that from you. Amen? All right, one other category. Okay, so we've got connecting with God, connecting with other people, practicing your gifts, and the fourth reason is this, because we need you to help us create a place for people to know God. It ties in with the gifts a little bit, but it's also more about the atmosphere that you bring with you. When we all come together and we choose to love each other and honor each other and be a family together, you know, and we choose to set aside our disagreements and choose unity, all those types of things, something happens in the atmosphere and it's like a magnet that draws down heaven and the ones who are hurting and broken that truly need the gospel in their lives, they get to find something of God just by being in the room. I can't even tell you how many testimonies we have of people who walked in the room and met God because the atmosphere of what happened when we all chose to pursue him. Nobody prayed for them, nobody talked to them. They had their own encounters with the Lord. People who've been physically healed because in the middle of worship, God just touched them. Nobody prayed for them. It's wild when we let God be God and when we let him use us, amen? All right, let's land this plane. So. I want to issue, guys, issue you guys a challenge, and um, I felt like God told me to do this, and so we're going to do a reminder in four weeks, and then we're going to do a reminder at the end, and this is an eight-week challenge, and here's what I'm asking of you. Make it a point to come to church eight consecutive weeks in a row, okay, and then see how you feel about your life after. Because, like I mentioned introverts earlier, or those, you know, sometimes we're just weary, We're tired of life because we're weary and we haven't trained ourselves where to find the rejuvenation source. So we keep looking to the wrong places, right? So I just wanna challenge you, give it eight weeks. Now I'm not saying this has to be your lifetime, like you can't ever go on vacation on a Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying give God eight weeks and then watch yourself and see if you do these four things, if you come to connect with God, connect with other people, let God use you and participate with what's happening in the room, see what testimonies you get to walk away with. Because I'm telling you, this place is not only about a select few, it's about every single one of you guys operating in who you are in God, not becoming like somebody else, but being who you are, amen? Amen. So in the midst of this national trend where people are not gathering because we just don't like each other, well, that's my assumption, what I wanna do is I wanna make a stand today and choose to respond in the opposite spirit of what everybody else is doing. Where the world might say this is our time to indulge and direct ourselves and all these things we've talked about, that the church makes a stand and said, no, this is our time, like Hebrews 11, excuse me, Hebrews 10, 25 says, where we, we cannot neglect being together. This is not the time to disperse. This is the time to unite. 
Think about this just from this direction, okay? We all, most of you guys have been listening to prophetic words over our city, our region, and our nation for quite some time. There's been no shortage of prophetic words about what God wants to do and a revival that's coming to our land. Don't you think the enemy would like nothing more than to keep everybody apart from each other so there's no one to hold it when it comes? It's a sobering thought. But the body of Christ is the only option. It is where Jesus has put all of his eggs in that basket. So what I think we need to do is the Romans 12, 1 and 2, where we need to renew our minds and remind ourselves why we come. So here's what I'm asking of you. Take all of this into account. Read these scriptures for yourself and just make an educated choice for you. I'm not gonna, we're not going to be disappointed. We're not going to be counting who comes or anything like that like to see if you're doing the challenge. My heart is just for you to be healthy and for you to know why it's important to be in church. And if at the end of this, you're like, I do agree with you, Rachel. I just don't think I could do that here. Hey, we will help you find a church in town that's a great fit for you. Because it's about you being mature. It's not about us having people in the seats. Do you guys understand that? What we are doing, our whole vision, the whole point of why we felt like God told us to plant this church was to raise up people who are confident in God, who are you know, understanding their destiny and who are operating in it. And sometimes that looks like you connecting here and sometimes that looks like you connecting other places. And we trust God enough that he's leading you where you're supposed to be. So at the end of all this, if you're like, wow, uh, that was too much challenge, Rachel. You know, I have to cough up some water like I was drowning there for a minute. That's okay. We will bless you to find where you need to be and we'll help you connect with pastors that we know that have amazing churches as well, okay? So we're gonna do the eight-week challenge. I'm just assuming everybody's in. Don't tell me if you're not. Uh, we're gonna respond in the opposite spirit. And the last thing I wanna say is that maybe if you're sitting here and you're like, you know, this sounds interesting, but I would be bored on a Sunday morning because I just would come and sit. Well, maybe you need to find a place to contribute. And I'm not just saying kids ministry. I'm sure all of you guys are like, well, that's the next thing she's gonna say, right? That's not what I'm saying, actually. I think some of you guys have stuff to offer that we haven't even thought of yet because we're not you. So if you're sitting there and you're like, all right, I want to come and I want to make a difference, have an idea and shoot it to us. You can email me at Rachel at Bethel OKC. You can Facebook message us. You can Facebook message our church. You can find us. There's plenty of ways to find us. But just think about it. What can I do to contribute? Maybe what you need to do is give high fives when people come in the door. I have a pastor friend. They had five kids and they uh, pastor, helped pastor a church, a big church, and there's three services. And at, she said to me, every kid, all of the five, have had a season where they did not want to go to church. It's an, a normal thing, right? They didn't want to go, they didn't want to be there the whole time, etc. And she said, when I gave them a job to do, their whole perspective would change. So one of them was like eight years old, and her little job was to stand to give high fives to all the kids who came in the kids' classroom. And something changed in her where now she felt valued, like she felt needed, she felt like she had something to contribute, and she wanted to show up. I think even if you're eight or if you're 80, it feels the same. We wanna know that we have a place to contribute, right? So that's my final point. We're gonna take the eight-week challenge, we're gonna to respond to the opposite spirit, and we're gonna think about what can I do to contribute. It might be hospitality, it might be parking lot stuff, it might be flags outside, it might be something midweek that we do that you help us do some admin. I don't know what it is. But if you are looking for a place to contribute, we probably want what you have to offer. Safe to say? All right, so here's what we're gonna to do to end. I just wanna take a moment to pray if that's okay. And um, yeah. We're just going to take a minute to pray, and really what I want to do, Michelle, do you mind just playing for us? Um, what I want to do is, is take like uh, 60 seconds or so to pray collectively over the state of our nation.
that churches would step into a greater place that we're called to be, that the body of Christ would reconnect, right? Whatever has touched your heart through what I've been saying, pray that out. So you can pray with the person next to you unless you just um, are too introverted, then you can just put your hands up and everybody will know you need um, some alone time. Um, All right. So Lord, we thank you that you are on the move in America and you're on the move in Oklahoma City. And Lord, we just prophetically declare even this morning that Oklahoma City is primed and ready for a revival to take place. And that we will be, we and the other churches in our area that are praying and pressing into this, we will be worthy vessels to hold what you want. We will be people who choose to connect and not back away. We will be people who choose to let you mature us and grow us. And so Father, we pray right now over every person in the body of Christ that's been hurt, that has felt like they needed to disengage for their own self-preservation. We pray for healing over them right now in the name of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you teach us how to renew our minds to understand what church is even for. And Lord, we give you our hearts. We let you speak into our heart what needs to change in our own lives, our perspective, our attitude, our time, whatever it is that you're highlighting. And Lord, I just pray over this church as well. I just pray a blessing over every person in this room to find a place to contribute and to have the boldness to use the gifts that you've put inside of them. Lord, we look forward to the the move of your spirit that you're already beginning to blow over our, uh, our specific congregation. Yeah. And Lord, I just pray even right now, would you just drop into our minds creatively what's something we can do to contribute to this body? shall play for just one more minute. If you need prayer for anything or physical healing or whatever, come up here. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, be blessed. Have an amazing week. Eight-week challenge starts next week. Just kidding. Starts whenever you want it to. Um, Yeah. Love you guys.